This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our guests today are Mahmoud Mohaydin, Senior Vice President of the World Bank Group, uh, and Georgia Petkowski, who is a Senior Fellow at the Wharton Zicklin Center for Business Ethics. Uh, Mahmoud and uh, Georgia, thank you so much for joining us today at Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the very, opportunity. Very happy to have you here yeah. with us today. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, Mahmoud, let's start with you. At the recent uh, Washington, D.C. meetings of the spring meeting of the World Bank and the IMF, the new World Bank Group president, David Malpas, said that more, more than 700 million people around the world uh, are still mired in extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, what is the thinking at the World Bank and the IMF about creating jobs and uh, uh, increasing the median incomes for people who are so poor? Um, well, the, um, the figures shared by the uh, president of the World Bank are based on the uh, latest um, um, update on, uh, on poverty and inequality. Um, uh, that was published uh, a few months ago by the uh, World Bank Group. So this is the latest figures uh, based on the information obtained from different countries. And um, it seems that we are up to a very big challenge, especially if we put in uh, in consideration the fact that uh, heads of state and um, uh, country leaders agreed uh, back in 2015 to eliminate uh, extreme poverty by 2030, so we um, only have 11 years to go. Um, The success of halving the number of the poor um, um, under the Millennium Development Goals um, have been very much attributed to a great success by different countries in in achieving higher growth that enabled uh, better jobs, higher incomes, especially in countries like uh, China and, and India. Um, now, the, the struggle is that in countries in Africa and other low-income countries are not really growing sufficiently. Um, and uh, at the same, the only thing that is, is growing steadily is the population. Um, and in order to cope with the challenges, you need really to invest in human capital, you need to invest in infrastructure, and you need to invest in uh, decent systems of uh, social protection uh, to deal with the um, uh, with the shocks as well, um, either economic shocks or natural disasters. Um, the kind of growth that we have been seeing during the last couple of years uh, needs really to be changed. Uh, we have been in decline. Um, uh, the World Bank and the IMF have been uh, revising down uh, their uh, estimates for growth for this year, 2019, and for the upcoming two years until 2021. In order to deal with the challenges uh, of extreme poverty, especially in Africa, you need to have growth um, figures um, exceeding uh, 6% in a steady, continuous uh, way. And um, this is basically, again, um, uh, emphasizing the importance of investments. Uh, Georgia, based on what Mahmoud just said, if the world economy has to grow at more than 6%, uh, especially to deal with problems of extreme poverty, uh, what do you think are some of the solutions to how how that can be made to happen? I mean, first challenge is we measure growth through GDP and uh, how much that really captured the quality 
uh, of and cost of the growth. So we might have a short-term growth, uh, but ne- not necessarily on the sustained level. And the same thing is uh, related to job creation. Because uh, it's, first of all, to acknowledge the fact that most of the people who don't have jobs are young people. And then it's not just a question of creating uh, growth so that they can get employed. The question is, do they have the relevant knowledge to get employed? So this is usually neglected. And second is the quality of the jobs and whether through jobs they also have opportunities to improve their knowledge, learning opportunities so that they can uh, not just stay on the same jobs, but also help the economy to go in the right direction. Now, at the Mahmoud, at the same uh, spring meetings, you actually led a panel discussion on the sustainable development goals and the need for countries to integrate uh, into their national budgets some of the uh, targets that countries are setting uh, in that regard. Why is that so important? And are there some countries that you think are doing a better job than others in that respect? Well, um, um, this discussion is very much based on the Finance for Development um, agenda and the, um, and the discussion that started back in July 2015 um, um, in Addis. Um, so uh, we're not saying anything new, um, but what's new is the emphasis on taking matters related to finance more seriously uh, than have been taken so far. And um, I like to... Um, uh, to draw a picture of finance like a river with many, with many sources, um, public, private, domestic, and external. And in order for that uh, river to give you the required water for life and development, all sources need really to be active. And there are no substitutes here because the, uh, there are huge uh, requirements for funding uh, the SDGs. Um, without budget, uh, you cannot really do a good job with the private sector. Uh, private sector would require discipline, would require to know uh, to what extent the government is crowding um, its activities in or uh, crowding uh, them out. So um, the budget is not just about figures, it's basically about signaling and about incentives and about direction. And um, unfortunately, many countries, uh, when they talk about the future uh, uh, agenda for development or the uh, 2030 agenda, um, they, they only talk uh, in a very generic way, very general way. They don't attach uh, costs um, and they don't attach um, uh, spending priorities um, um, uh, to, the, uh, to that kind of work. I've come across uh, very good examples recently um, by countries at the state level, like in India and Bangladesh. Mm. I've seen uh, some good work at the country level and at the state level, like in Colombia. Uh, Vietnam and uh, China have been uh, um, uh, masters of long-term uh, planning, so issues related to uh, strategies, plans, and budgets comes naturally in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it's all about implementation as well. So you need really to get the finance, public and private right. Mm-hmm. You need to put the environment um, um, to um, uh, encourage um, uh, collaboration and, and business. Um, linking it to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and uh, getting as local as you can in terms of implementation, what, what we call localization of the SDGs, which is very different, by the way, from the old uh, debate about centralization versus decentralization. It's a completely different new system that uh, respects the priorities and the comparative advantages of the local communities. 
Let's drill deeper into this question of uh, implementation because that is so critical. Uh, what are some of the, in your experience, some of the barriers to implementation that have existed in the past and, and what can be done now to overcome those barriers? Right. Um, uh, I, I think the, the work that we are pushing now uh, towards uh, more localization is based on the experience of the Millennium Development Goals, which ended in 2015. And in joint work with the United Nations Development Program, the UNDP and the World Bank, we found out that the difference between failure and success is basically the delivery where, where it matters. At the end of the day, all of these development goals mean better life, better services, better support to uh, individuals and human beings wh wherever they are. And uh, they, they are located either in urban areas, in cities and districts, or they are living in rural areas. So um, as, uh, as far as we have seen by evidence, um, if the focus is only centralized and assuming that there is going to be some uh, uh, magic coming out from a trickle-down effect, that one does, uh, didn't really work. Uh, for countries that achieved better results when it comes to education, health uh, services, uh, better transport, uh, these are the countries that have managed to factor in the local priorities, engaging um, the communities in uh, setting the priorities, because under budget constraints, you cannot really do everything at the same time. So better to engage the local communities who know better what they need. And then you can always put the standards uh, put the uh, the means of competition and have a kind of a national mapping, not to be very much focused on the local uh, matters, but basically to have a kind of um, of a competition, a leech between the different governors, uh, different cities, mm -hmm. in order to achieve the goals. We have seen some good examples of that. One one um, one very positive example. I would uh, uh, refer to is from uh, Colombia again. Mm. This is a country that had been really facing trouble uh, for many years, civil war included, uh, drug uh, trafficking, all kinds of, uh, um, of, of, of tensions and society were there. Uh, during the last uh, couple of decades, they t transformed themselves um, to become now an OECD country. This is the club of the richest countries in, in the world. Um, that didn't really happen by leaving matters to time to solve, but basically about good policies, good institutions, and great deal of localization. Okay. Uh, so, uh, just to build upon what uh, Mahmoud just said, what can other countries learn from the example of countries like Colombia, which seem to have figured out how to sort of overcome some of the challenges? Well, I think that the localization is also about understanding the need of the local communities, but at the same time, creating signaling yeah. entrepreneurship. Because mm -hmm. if you are challenging the resources to address the real needs, then there is a real demand. And if there is demand, then you have entrepreneurship to support that. The other is also talking about the budgetary allocations. Uh, it's also important to look at which portion of the budget can be leveraged mm -hmm. by bringing the private sector. This will not happen just by saying we would like to engage the private sector, but the policy really to address the gap which exists between the commercial immediate interest of the corporate sector in addressing some of these issues which are not immediately awarded by the market. 
So I know that the World Bank Group is doing a lot in the context of blended finance. Mm -hmm. That's the contribution from the World Bank, but that kind of innovative thinking is also needed from the government side. So when they do the budgeting thing. So that's one thing. The other is that the more you have direct knowledge exchange between countries without intermediaries, the better. I mean, it's good that the World Bank is taking lead on that for many years now. Knowledge at Wharton as well. We need that. But it's also we need to have that more complementary engagement where the country will learn from each other without filtering that. And I would also argue that young people can play tremendous role in that. One of my students from the last semester who was doing something on uh, uh, homelessness in Philadelphia during the winter break, she went to Bangalore to look at how they address the issue of homeless in Bangalore. And now when she came for this semester, she started implementing some of this idea. And you have the other things, another student of mine this semester uh, with his, a few of his colleagues developing a new model of addressing issue of health care for uh, 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 low income people in the United States suddenly said, well, maybe our concept can be equally relevant for Africa. Yeah. But engaging in Africa, they also get sufficient information to revise their thinking of how to do it in Philadelphia. So this whole, whole knowledge exchange thing is very kind of holistic and there are different ways and this is what we need to support. I'm so glad that both of you mentioned both entrepreneurship and innovation as, as important uh, you know, uh, ways of dealing with these issues. Because that uh, <clears throat> takes me to the next point, Mahmoud, that I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, in reading some of your writings, I know that you have been saying that in the past, billions of dollars of investment were acquired. Now it is trillions uh, and, and uh, to address the gaps between the resources that will be needed to implement the Sustainable Development Goals and what resources are, exist are available today. Uh, what sorts of innovative financing solutions do you think uh, have you been seeing that allow people to solve this, uh, to bridge that gap? Yes, what triggered the, um, the, the, the discussion of the billions to trillions? Um, this is the phrase that we used um, um, to promote more private sector, um, public sector kind of innovative solutions. With basically uh, the fact that uh, some estimates, when you aggregate all of the funding gaps in different countries uh, to achieve this, the 17 uh, goals, the, the, the gaps were estimated or could be guesstimated to be around um, uh, four to six trillion dollars. You can see even the gap in the estimates yeah. because of lack of data and information. Right. More recently, only in five areas of the sustainable development goals, education, health, and three areas um, of infrastructure uh, like water and transport and energy. Um, um, the, the estimates of the International Monetary Fund um, uh, tell us uh, of a gap of around $2.6 trillion. Uh, uh, um, these big figures um, perhaps may need to be translated at the country and the local uh, level. And again, you'll find these gaps. At the end of the day, you'll see that these trillions um, of gaps are really part of a bigger story, this bigger story that we have in the global system today, more than $100 trillion of available uh, uh, funds and assets. Many of them, uh, many of such assets are uh, with negative yield or with zero uh, return. So here it's basically how to encourage such funds 
to take perhaps more risk, but more calculated risk, with the help and partnership with different agencies, including the World Bank and the regional development banks, and get part of this great uh, availability of funds to where priorities of development um, are. This will not really uh, flow um, uh, directly, but they need to be incentivized. They need to have better um, uh, business environment, governance, rule of law, and pipelines of projects. And this is basically the kind of partnership that the World Bank has with many of the countries, that we don't just do transactions. In many cases, we are required by countries to uh, help in improving business climate and uh, the, uh, the pipeline of uh, financeable uh, um, uh, projects. Ha having said that, I think we need to deal with all of these gaps together. I mentioned the gaps on finance, and there is a gap of implementation that we discussed, and there is a gap of data as well. Yeah. And the gap of data is responsible for lots of the mess that we are seeing in terms of lack of funding in many countries because um, of lack of knowledge, many investors may be just guided by uh, perceptions. Part of that perception might be uh, wrong or suffering from prejudice. The only way to do it uh, or to fix the problem is to provide better information. It could be worse than what they think. And in many cases, as we have seen it in Africa, for instance, is much better in terms of a decent return to risk mix. But what we need is basically more updated in information. And part of, of, the, of the discussion that we're doing with the business community um, as one of the um, um, uh, PRs or the permanent representatives to the UN, the ambassador of Canada, mentioned that we need to be all bilingual. I would say that we need to be multilingual. So the government needs to understand the language of the private sector. And at the same time, both they need to understand the language of community or, or society. And this requires patience, interpretations, uh, better in interpretation, and not to live in these kind of isolated silos. Uh, Georgia, coming back to the point you raised earlier about uh, entrepreneurship, uh, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how entrepreneurship can be used uh, to help uh, in achieving sustainable development goals, especially among women entrepreneurs, uh, even say at the bottom of the pyramid. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Well, we have been working together, the Ziegler Center, Wharton, and, uh, and the World Bank for already five years with the ideas for action for young entrepreneurs. And uh, relatively recently, we have another program on SDGs and her. Yeah. This is the offsprings. Yeah. Yes, uh, this is a phenomenal learning experience also for us because there's really direct interaction with the entrepreneurs. Uh, also, they are understanding more and more. It's not just sufficient to have a good business model and to have a good startup. That part of the work they need to do is to help also shaping the business environment in which they operate. That also creates kind of confidence for that. Corporations should follow the same philosophy. Sometimes they say we don't go in fragile states because they are fragile. There is no institution. The risk is high. Yes, maybe the risk is high because also of their old business models. New business model, new business, uh, new business thinking also help them to be part of building these institutions. And we have a good example with one of our partner, Firmenich, when they decided to make uh, investment in Uganda vanilla production. 
They understood they have to build partnerships. They cannot do it on their own. And this is where the local uh, engagement, particularly in case of uh, uh, vanilla, women are the main producers, and the more they are engaged in that, uh, the more stronger social cohesion is in that environment will be make much easier for other companies to come. So we don't need, we shouldn't measure, you know, the uh, the success of this uh, initiative, uh, like engaging women entrepreneurs, just on the base how many uh, new businesses have started, but how through that engagement, new space has been created, also encouraging companies to come, to be take them as a part of the supply chain and so on. So I think the experience so far has been tremendously positive. I'm very glad that you mentioned uh, Uganda because that reminded me that the World Bank has made a very major uh, commitment to Africa. Uh, I think $25 billion have been committed to digitalizing uh, Africa and, and with a further equal amount to be sourced from the private sector. And I was wondering, Mahmoud, if you could explain what is the strategy here? Uh, why is this so important in reducing extreme poverty? Well, there is no way for Africa to come out from the traps of, um, of poverty and inequality without embracing um, uh, the, uh, the good fruits um, of knowledge and ideas and outcomes of the fourth industrial uh, revolution, which is about um, how to deal with big data, how to deal with the new platforms of, uh, of knowledge uh, including the platforms for transactions as well and commerce, um, how to understand and have a good command on artificial uh, intelligence. This requires a huge infrastructure. It shouldn't be left to some uh, smart, skillful uh, business people and, uh, um, and young people um, alone. They are doing their part, but there is a great deal of investment that should be done by the public sector, by the private sector, in order to enable uh, these countries to uh, be part of this uh, new world. Talking about the big data and how to um, store data, retrieve data, and protect um, them as well from uh, breaching of security or um, um, such matters is, is, is very big and huge um, investment. So um, digitalizing Africa, or what we call the, uh, the moonshot um, approach, celebrating half a century since the first man landed uh, on the surface of the moon, is basically to give people hope, but give the people as well some specific measures, as been done by um, uh, President Kennedy, to give timeline, ambitious target, easy as well to understand and easy to judge. Um, as well. So we have these programs of action at different countries in partnerships. Um, we work with all uh, levels of engagement because it is not just about um, having the, uh, the production to be um, um, engaged in technology uh, or the finance to be uh, using fintech solutions. But as we were saying before, the discussion that we have today or the interview, that as we are keen to have advances and innovation in finance, for instance, 
through what's so-called fintech. We need the regulators and supervisors to be aware of the pros and cons, not to complicate the life of the market and investment uh, participants. And we need the government as well to avail the infrastructure, including identification and good rule of law um, um, to, to the whole thing. In addition to that, we need the society itself, which is the ultimate beneficiary of all of these kind of digitalization and innovation, to be um, um, uh, uh, brought up to date with the requirements of the new world, what we called, or what I called, SOCTEC. Um, I hope it is not abusing the uh, the acronyms, but uh, basically to simplify what we're talking about. This is this contribution from the World Bank, the 25 billion is a, is I wouldn't say a drop uh, in the ocean, uh, but uh, it's a it's a decent contribution to uh, um, a very demanding uh, sector when it comes to resources. So uh, in, in, to conclude, I have one question for both of you, and that is, uh, what do you see, as you said in the beginning, we are not that far from 2030 now. Uh, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles that exist to the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030, and what should be done to overcome those obstacles? Well, at the end of the day, it's a country-level kind of, um, uh, of a challenge. So some countries may suffer today from fragility and conflict. So they are busy with other matters. Some countries are very much focused on the short term. Um, while, and if you, from development perspective, you can really consider 2030 as tomorrow. But they are very much busy with what could really survive, help them survive the day, rather than having a kind of a long-term investment in education, health, and uh, the infrastructure, indeed, taking care of the environment and, and, and uh, climate. So this is another um, kind of a challenge. The other challenge is uh, could be resources. You could have very sophisticated government and community, but at the same time, public resources are not enough. So um, that's the, the, the list can go on. So that's why we're after this kind of specific tailored approach that understands the pros and cons, the comparative advantages and disadvantages of each country and try to provide a solution um, uh, to, to the requirements. Some countries may not really need the help of the World Bank, like the sophisticated OECD countries. But again, they would benefit from sharing knowledge and putting themselves in this kind of a challenge of competition. Well, I will focus just on one. Being here at Wharton, of course, uh, the first thing comes to mind is what we need to do about management education. Yes. I think we need a fundamental change there. If uh, the private sector is the sector which creates most of the job, create value, then are we really preparing our students uh, to take the lead in this space? And I think a very serious reflection on that, understanding the challenges of uh, sustainable development goals from one side, the challenges of companies to engage in that and what are the knowledge gap present there, kind of uh, creative pressure on the professors to reflect on their curriculum, whether they, we are preparing the students for tomorrow or we are just uh, say, telling the same story of yesterday. So these are the challenges and this will not happen until the students themselves get a little bit better organized, better exposed to the sustainable development goals and the challenges there, comparing what knowledge they need to be part of that. And I will conclude with a conversation with my colleague Bill Laufer um, from Wharton. It's about generational responsibility. Mm -hmm. The students has to understand that. It's not just our generation, what they, we can do for them, but what they can do for themselves. And I think that's uh, the key.
Great. Well, Mahmoud uh, Georgia, thank you so much for joining us today on Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.